Hey everyone, this is Isaac Maddox, and I'm the pastor of Activate Church, and this is our podcast. Remember, you can subscribe to our podcast and subscribe to our YouTube channel. Follow us on Facebook and Instagram. I hope this message blesses you, encourages you, builds your faith, and I hope you enjoy the message. minutes this morning. We're going to jump into it. Um, I was going to finish the series this morning on Jephthah, but there's just so much happening within the story. Got to extend it a few more weeks here. So part seven, which is going to be the final number. It's a great number. Seven's a biblical number if you didn't know that. But as much as I'm into numerology, we're going to keep going. And uh, so this is part seven in this series, and I'm going to read a few verses and we'll get through it hopefully, quick, and then we can all go out to lunch. Who doesn't have lunch plans? Okay. Okay, the backs. Okay, we got some. Okay, there we go. You see those hands? Let's take care of that. All right, people? Let's make it happen. Spontaneous barbecues, lunches. Book of Judges. Here we go. Book of Judges, chapter 11. It says, now Jephthah, Jephthah, that's how you pronounce it. I think so. The Gileadite was a mighty man of valor, but he was the son of a harlot. He was the mighty man of valor, but he was the son of a harlot. Strength and weakness. And Gilead begot Jephthah. Gilead's wife bore sons, and when his wife's sons grew up, they drove Jephthah out and said to him, You shall have no inheritance in our father's house, for you are the son of another woman. And we've read that seven times or eight times or nine times, whatever. And um, just for a moment, though, put yourself in Jephthah's position uh, as as a young man. Um, being driven out, family, village, financially, spiritually, emotionally, physically, every aspect of being rejected, kicked out of a home and community is where he finds himself. Then Jephthah fled from his brothers and dwelt in the land of Tob, and worthless men. And you'd think, that's just awesome. These worthless men come together, and he becomes like David, incredible. I think it goes from bad to worse. I mean, the kind of guys that come around him are these worthless men. Banded together with Jephthah and went out raiding with him. Verse 4, and it came to pass after a time. It came to pass after a time. And this is one of the statements that we're trying to unwrap and find out and discover and sort of look into what, what took place in this moment of time in Jephthah's life. We see Jephthah, then from this point, the people are coming to him and saying, hey, would you be our leader? We are in a bind. People of Ammon are making war against us. And we need someone like you. Jephthah's reputation had become pretty awesome, pretty incredible. And, and we discover what took place from that moment of being a young man, rejected, kicked out, cut off, with nothing, literally with nothing. Some of us feel like we have nothing at times, but we still live in an incredible country with safety nets and programs and things to help and assist us. Jephthah had nothing. He was completely driven out. And when we mean nothing, we mean Nothing. What happened from that moment to where we pick up Jephthah in Hebrews, where it says that Jephthah was a mighty man of faith. He was a mighty man of faith. What, what took place? I don't know about you, but when you read your Bible, you sometimes when things aren't said, you've got to read between the lines and try to figure out what happened to this guy. What happened? Did he get counseling? 
Did he meet an incredible pastor? Did he find an incredible church in the middle of the wilderness? What took place? What took place? Um, And so they come to him, this man of renown now, this mighty man of valor. That man, that word valor or strong warrior or valiant warrior, um, they didn't just use that term loosely. It meant you were kind of like the baddest, raddest around. You weren't just a guy who could sort of carry a sword. You took care of business. People feared you. You were were a bad dude. This is Jephthah. So much so that people can't find someone like him in their own nation. They have to humble themselves and go to the guy they rejected. So they come to him. We find Jephthah at this moment where he says, okay, if you make me judge, if you make me leader. And they said, yes, let it be so according to your word. So now Jephthah takes on this role of judge and leader and commander and general of the army, sort of everything all wrapped up into one. And he comes before God because I think that he is this man of faith, he's this man of passion, and he makes this vow. Now, we don't know everything about the vow, and so some people preach Jephthah or talk about Jephthah like he made this crazy vow, this erratic vow, he's emotional, he was sort of just just sort of threw out this crazy thing to God. The problem is we have more evidence that he was a systematic, smart, intelligent, kind of has it all together kind of guy than a guy who would just be like, and just gonna go with my feeling on this one, kind of having a bad day, just gonna throw up a crazy prayer to God. Because of the tactics and the different things and the research he did with Amon, and Amon made this whole thing, this accusation against Israel, and he's like, whoa, that's not true. Brings up all the scrolls and the past, does this history lesson, brings it to, I mean, he does this investigation, sort of 2020 Dateline special with this guy, and humbles him and says, no, actually, you're lying. And he puts him in his place. This guy's smart, tactful, wise. So this kind of guy comes before God and says, hey, God, if you will give me the victory, you can imagine this moment. God, if you will give me the victory, then whatever comes out of my house, I will give to you as a burnt offering. And we discussed last week that that terminology is as a burnt offering. He did not burn his daughter. He, he gave his daughter unto God. Now, what it was Jephthah expecting? Well, he came back. He probably wasn't expecting his daughter because he tore his clothes. He was like just, he was obviously brought in low. It was his only daughter. And so I don't know what Jephthah was thinking. Those are some of the mysteries we don't know. Obviously, We just sort of deduct and reason and try to put the thing back together as good as we can, which is funny as preachers, because I'm sure we're all going to get to heaven, and David, and Moses, and Noah, and Jeff are going to be like, seriously? All, most of those sermons, you weren't even close. You know, so, sorry guys, um, we'll get the whole story when we uh, get to the other side. But as much as we can preach faith and deduct from this story, there's so much that happens, and so he makes this vow, whatever comes out of my house, well, he gets victory, and so he comes home. I don't know. Maybe he was expecting a servant or somebody to come out that he was going to dedicate unto God. But his daughter comes out, and she dedicates him to God and says that she bewails her virginity and knew no man. And so this girl, her entire future, which was basically having kids, having a home, was taken away from her, and she served God for the rest of her life in the house of God. He makes this vow. But then we pick up Jephthah in Hebrews... And we have to understand that if Jephthah was slightly crazy or erratic or like some people, you know what, we don't know about him. In some ways we do know about him because the writer of Hebrews would not have put him in the hall of faith chapter of the Bible. You know, there's not too many chapters like this (laughs) that just talk about almost every amazing Bible character from Abraham on through. 
And he wasn't getting a little sloppy and bored and said, well, we'll just throw Jephthah in there because we think he was pretty awesome. We don't know. No, he did know through Jewish tradition and stories and things that they would talk about in tribes and villages. And they threw Jephthah in and they threw him in right next to David. And so there is, there's so many parallels with Jephthah and David and the mighty men and this incredible feats of battle. And, and it says faith. They could not have canonized Jephthah in scripture with faith if he wasn't a man of faith. A man of faith. It says in verse 33, who through faith subdued kingdoms and worked righteousness, obtained promises, stopped the mouths of lions, quenched the violence of fire, escaped the edge of the sword, and out of weakness were made strong. Faith. Talks about everybody in the Bible, and it says faith. Faith. So when we read about faith, it says in Romans chapter 4, verse 16. Romans chapter 4, verse 16. It says, therefore it is of faith. It is of faith that it might be according to grace. Romans 5, 2 says, Through whom also we have access by faith into what? Into this grace. It says in Ephesians it might be according, it says it's of faith that it might be according to grace. Our faith is in the grace. Our faith is in the grace. We're going to try to pull these themes together for a few minutes this morning. And... uh, it's a lot happening in this portion, but uh, I think we'll focus in on a few things this morning and then get out of here. Amen. Let's pray. Lord, we thank you for your word. We thank you, Lord, to sit here and, and uh, I, I know that you told stories, Jesus. It, it says in some translations that you never taught without telling a story. And so, God, we pray uh, that sometimes we get focused on just, just systematic principles and things and explanations. But, Lord, we know that the righteous live by faith. The just live by faith. And we just pray today, stir our faith, encourage our faith. But as we leave this place, our faith that is in Jesus, our faith that is in the grace of God. As we leave this place, our faith would go from faith to faith, from grace to grace this morning. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Is everybody awake? Alive? Okay. Just want to make sure I felt a little alone up here. Under this incredible light display that we have, you know, don't, don't get distracted by the production up here. They're just Amazon LED lights. Don't worry about it. Nothing, nothing too crazy. No, so, I don't know. I was thinking about, um, we're all different, right? Amen. Amen. Nudging your husband or wife. That's right. Yes, we are. Um, but I have like this long debate because I'm not a morning person. Is there any, who's a morning person? Wow. There's a lot of morning people. Like, I, you guys confound me. I, I, am, I am in awe um, um, that, that you could just love. I mean, my, I don't know. I just, I don't, I, don't, I don't wake up naturally just in the morning. Unless I'm in Maui. The window's open. The birds are chirping. I don't know what it is. Six o'clock never felt so good in Maui. But beyond that, I don't know. There's no grace at six, seven, eight. 30, and from there on, it's, it gets awful late in the afternoon, or morning. But I, I always had this thing with debate, you know, people, and there's always like, usually it's a generational thing, you know, but the early bird gets the worm, you know, how many times you hear that, and, and you kind of feel bad, because I'm like a bit of a night owl, and so, night owls, we got any night owls, and okay, <clears throat> we do outweigh the early birds, but anyways, and I guess there's one more bird. I don't even have, this, this story is not even has any point to this morning. But they actually put everybody, this college did a study on these three bird types, which is us. I think it's a morning bird, 
afternoon sparrow or something. I don't know. And then like a night owl. And they actually talked about, my buddy sent this to me because he's a night owl and he started his own company and he always hears from these older guys, the more early bird gets the worm, early bird gets the worm. I understand what they're saying, but still you get a little frustrated about hearing that your whole life. And so anyways, he found like this college study that the night owls have this longer metabolic rate for brain activity that they studied. And so the night owls actually have the ability, the ability to get more done more effectively during the day. I just wanted to share that with you. I just feel better. No, I'm kidding. So the point was, the point is we're all different, okay? And I say that because what's funny is you find out about yourself, I'm an early bird, but then you get around a real early bird. I mean a crazy early bird that's like, ah, at four in the morning. You're like, ah. You know, I thought I was an early bird until I met you. You are an early. You think you're a night owl until you meet a true night owl. Yeah, I come a night owl around midnight, one. There's people, creative people, that they're like cranking in the zone at three in the morning, you know? They're painting, they're writing, they're like, woo! You know, it's like, seriously? That sounds horrible, you know? And then you discover things about yourself. Are you, are you spontaneous? Are you a flexible person? Not physically speaking, but I see. But flexible of nature, right? And you, you dub yourself. Maybe someone dubs you flexible until you meet Maybe flexible for you is like at 1045, you go to Taco Bell, right? And in your group of friends, you are spontaneous and crazy. You're going to Taco Bell right now? Oh, my gosh. Whoa, you're spontaneous. For other people, it's like 1045, you decided to drive to San Francisco. Just spontaneous and crazy. So you think you're spontaneous until you meet someone that's like seriously spontaneous. What happens is we get ourselves into these little boxes, and we put each other in these little boxes, and we kind of get our little ratio. You know, I'm on 30%, 33% flexible, and I do have 20% consistency, though. I, I admire that about people. And, you know, you got to be consistent, stable, you know. And so you come up with this, like, ratio mix, and then we try to change each other. Right? Early birds? Early bird gets the worm. So early birds come around on vacation time sometimes, or holidays, Right? It's like 8.39, and they talk about everything they've done. It's like, it's a lunchtime yet? You know, I like mow the lawn. I read a book, prayed to God for a few hours. What have you done? You're like, what? You know, you're like, I don't know. I uh, had a vision last night at 3 in the morning, though. It was pretty awesome. But we kind of try to, and then you're hanging out with early birds. It's like 11 o'clock, and we're like, let's play Monopoly. It's probably a bad idea for many reasons, but they're like falling asleep. You're like, you're no fun. Come on, you know. But we try to. Try to, like, nudge each other. You know, you, you line upon line, systematic people about everything. We try, hey, hey, get some consistency in your life. You know, you need some stability in your life. You need some, and then the, you know, you're trying to, you need to be more flexible. You need to be more flexible. You need to relax a little bit. So we try to change each other. And what happens is, I think along the way, that we take a look at life and we're constantly, we love the word change. And we're constantly trying to change ourselves and change each other. According to a certain set of guidelines and rules and ability to change ourselves. I need to change. Because you hear it maybe from your wife or husband or friends or family. And you have this stereotype that can kind of hang over your life. The problem is we take that into Christianity. And Jesus came 2,000 years ago and basically said, hey, I'm going to change the way you change. But we forget that, I think, at times. So you're not going to change that way any longer. You can no longer just, poof, just, just change yourself into holiness. 
oh, I need to be more like Jesus. I'm just going to like change. I need to change that habit. And we treat it like it's a habit. We treat it like it's waking up in the morning. We treat it like I need to, you know, do something and be different and be better and change. When Jesus said, the only way you can change is through me. I need to teach you that you can do all things. Do, do. You can do. You can change. You can do. You can do. But it's going to come through. This is, whoa, spiritual, subjective word. How can I do? I want to do some, need to change. My wife said I need to change a lot. Things need to change. And Jesus said, I'm going to change the way you change, which is you can do, but it has to be through. It has to be through me. I'm the one. I'm the only one that can come in and change the way you think and change your behavior and change some, some heart issues. Yeah, but what about the book I'm reading? What about the accountability? All good. But the thing that we have to be careful about is to not put our faith in it. But that's what we do. So someone says, man, Seth, how do how you have a marriage? You're raising kids. And it's like, how are you doing it, man? And, and if we say, well, you know what? You need to get this book. Or you need to get a prayer life if you have four kids. Good Lord. You need to get a strong prayer life. That's more than a minute of, you know, power in the shower. You need more than a minute of prayer. Um, what happens is we give people good advice. Like we're given, just throwing out principles about how to get up in the morning or how to be on time or how to not lose your keys. We throw around these things. When the Bible, have we, have we forgot that your faith is in grace? How do you have a good marriage? It, but it sounds too simplistic to say, Christ, <laughs> Christ, Jesus. Yeah, 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 I know that. <laughs> I know, but, no, seriously, uh, I would be crazy. I would be divorced because I'm selfish, I'm rude, I'm arrogant, I'm small-minded. And you know what? If it wasn't for Jesus Christ, the only thing, the only one that can get on the inside and tweak and change and rearrange and make me who I am. That's why Paul said, I am who I am by the grace of God. But we all know that, right? Duh, it's so simple. Sorry about that. I just don't know what that was. <laughs> but it's frustrating because we do it to each other. Yeah, but what are you doing, Mark, in business? How are you running that company? What, what makes you the, uh, so good at what, what you're rebuilding companies and people? And, well, this book. You get to the heart of Mark and you start to find out Jesus, grace. That's what I love about Mark. He always comes back to, like, when we talk, grace. Is it silly to sit there and re-go over the foundation of it all? That doesn't just start it, but it takes us through? Somewhere along the way, we said, thanks, Jesus. Oh, we got it. Got the whole gospel thing. Uh, my turn. And Jesus said, you can do only through. Do all things through Christ. So what are we giving to people? You know, you need to be an early bird. Be more flexible. Get your schedule in order. Get a budget. We take that to Christ. Get a prayer life. You go to church more. Have you ever opened up to someone and they actually give you that advice? <laughs> I remember opening up to a pastor one time. I'm like, man, it's in the season. You know, I'm trying to, whew, it's tough. Isaac, how's your prayer life? You know what's funny? It had never been better. I was cranking out two to three hours a morning. Just four in the morning. I was. I was the prayer pope. I mean, I was all things young each show. Working on my eight hours, slowly reading books, cranking through it. But that's not where I was at. It's funny, actually, how many people have even given me the advice 
or the faith. See, I don't need more knowledge. But we think people just need more knowledge, and now we're going to keep you accountable to it. Do you, know, do, you, do, you, do you know what to do? But it's not about that. It's about faith. We're supposed to protect our faith. We lose faith in Christ. We lose faith in grace. I thank God for books and counselors and sessions and church and, and conversation. It's all beautiful and wonderful and a part of life, but my faith isn't in it. My faith isn't in some person's advice to me. My faith is in the personhood of Jesus Christ. And hopefully my faith in that only grows. We could go on, but i got to move on and, and somehow connect this to Jephthah. But, um, <laughs> no, but this is what we're talking about. Hebrews is saying, this is Jephthah. It's a man of faith. Yeah, 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 we know. No, 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 no. Just put the brakes on for a second. The Bible gives us nothing else about Jephthah except he is a strung out, rejected, moneyless, dysfunctional, punk kid or adolescent kicked out into the fields of nowhere and somehow from that point becomes the most coveted, baddest, raddest warrior on the planet. He got in touch with himself. He has probably had quite a prayer life. Probably. He probably read. He didn't have any. There was no self-help books back then. Maybe there was some Jewish traditional, you know, about some old man who overcame something. And Jeff and I read that. I don't know. It doesn't seem that that happened. What happened to Jephthah? Hebrews said he was a man of faith. He had faith. Yeah, yeah, yeah. We know. No, no, no. No, 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 no. No. Maybe we don't know. He had faith. Somehow, in that chaos of rejection and loneliness, he met God. He met the creator of the universe. The one who made him. And put a gift on the inside of him. Somehow this rejected, insecure, punk kid found security in God and God alone. And maybe it's all of our extra things that we think that help us or have helped us. And we medicate other people with that get in the way of the one and only true thing. And that is God that can change us. That's why Paul said, oh, when you're weak, you're actually strong. Why? Because you've got no distractions. You'll see your weakness. Who's everybody else? The Pharisees, but they can't see their weakness. They think they are good enough. They think they can do it. He goes, man, I came to heal the sick and the lost. And when you're weak, guess what? You know you are. You'll get to to connect with my strength. And so when you're weak, you're about to be strong. There's going to be something that happens. Jephthah somehow found God in the pasture. Yeah, but if I had more friends, you know, but if I had the right dad, if I had the mom, you know, if I had the right faith, if I had a little bit more money, you know, if I had the right boss, that guy's boss would be cool. If I had that guy's boss, that guy's big brother, that guy's church, you know, that, if I had different area in towns, born in the wrong small town with the wrong last name, with the wrong. And somehow, David, I love that the fact that they're together in the book of Hebrews, Jephthah and David. Absolute, nobody believed in them. <laughs> nobody. Nobody. But what do we do? If I had, if only, if only, if this was different. If. So somehow Jephthah connected with God in this moment, makes this 
maybe crazy but incredible vow to God, I believe out of love, saying, God, I know you. God so loved the world that he gave. God, Jephthah had somehow connected with his God. He was in love with God. Had to have been. Had to have been. And in that moment, he says, I just want to, I want to give you something. And out of passion, out of prayer, out of faith, says, I'm going to give something that hurts. Like I said, we don't know exactly. Maybe it was a servant. Maybe it was somebody else or something else. But it was his daughter that cut him to the core. But he said, man, God, I want to give you something. I want to give you something. I can't just pray this prayer that doesn't cost me anything. It doesn't, this doesn't hit home. I'm going to give you. So he comes home and sees his daughter. And his daughter, again, is so incredible that his daughter just goes, Dad, you have just radically ruined my life. Okay? Um, but I trust you. But I'm in. Let it be done according to your word. And we have to look at what kind of man was Jephthah for his daughter. No fights. No fights. No speeches. No convincing. No salesmanship. There was nothing that he did to convince her. But I think that we think that there was or that there should be. Like he had a Jim Feltman type voice, you know. You talk to my father-in-law, it's deep. It's like, whatever you say, I'm in, cool. It's like, man, if I had that voice, you know, I could woo carry more, and you guys would listen. I got this high pitch, you know, but if I was up here with this, like, you guys would be like, yes, I will do that, right? It's mesmerizing. But you look at charismatic people, or you look at wealthy people, you look at powerful people, or you look at talented people, or good-looking people, and you think, if I had that, then I would be, and then the Bible says, no, that wasn't Abraham, Moses, that wasn't David, that wasn't Jephthah, it was their faith. Faith is not just about what you do, it is actually who you are. Faith is a state of being in relationship with God. Faith is tangible. That's why the book of Hebrews, the writer said substance. You can step into someone's life and feel if they could have everything in the world, they could be the richest or the poorest. But when you step into their zone or vibe, you can feel a faith or a lack of faith. There must have been something in Jephthah's daughter that, oh, dad, whatever, cool. Whatever you, this trust, this respect, this faith that he had. What was, what would Jesus, what would it be like to hang out with Jesus back in the day? And David, these people, but they had faith that people were attracted to, that they felt safe around, they wanted to be around. And his daughter just goes, Dad, I'm in. Dad, I trust you. Somehow Jephthah had let God in to heal. Somehow Jephthah, through faith, had learned some new behavior. Track with me. Because most people repeat what they know. We all don't want to be certain people. I've heard people entire lives say, man, I do not want to be like my, my mom. I do not want to be like my dad. I do not want to be like that person. And they become exactly that person. Why? Because it's all they know. So I'm not here to play Dr. Phil, but, but the truth of it is, is that we become what we hate oftentimes because we don't get healed. Hurt people hurt people. Why? 
Because it's all we know. So I will never be like that person. Fast forward 15 years later, why am I just like that person? Because it's all you know. So that's, you picked up how to argue, how to fight, how to do conflict resolution, how to have relationships, how to love people, how to serve people. You pick it up, you learn it, that's what you do. So you find yourself in the same situation and you lean back on that because that's what you know. Jephthah is not repeating the same things. His daughter loves him. He got rejected by his brothers, by his family. His daughter loves him. He's asking her to do something incredible, to trust him. And she's like, I'm in. So we know somehow in that time that Jephthah allowed God to come in very intimately, very real, and touch him and heal him because he didn't repeat the thing that he knew. He actually had new behavior and and new function and new ability. But who taught him this? Who taught him this? Somehow his daughter loves him. He learned some new things because he allowed God to heal him and God to touch him. He became a man of faith. He had this faith in God's grace. Well, what does this look like? When we look at Hebrews, when we look at this verse, and it says Jephthah and David, who through faith, faith, subdued kingdoms, and worked righteousness, obtained promises. They're talking about Jephthah right now. They're talking about David right now. They're talking about those years where the Jephthah and David must have allowed God to come in and, and heal, obtain promises. So that means God must have in those moments put promises on the inside of, of Jephthah. Yeah, but the Bible says faith comes by hearing and hearing by the word. You've got to read your Bible to get faith. No, because he became the word. He is the word. Jesus is the word. You hang out with Jesus in any, any context or capacity. Have we put our faith in church? Have we put our faith in a prayer time? Which is all good, but it needs to be in God, in Christ, in his grace, in him. How did you get faith, God? Jesus, what'd you do? Because it could be a minute in the shower. It could be a minute in the car. Or it could be a three-hour incredible prayer session at home. But still Jesus. That needs to be, that needs to be the, the confession and the heartbeat of it. Jephthah obtained promises. Verse 34, quenched the violence of fire, escaped the edge of the sword. Here it is. And out of weakness were made strong. It's right here. Out of weakness were made strong. What? By faith. By faith. Faith in God. Faith in the grace. Faith in God. Faith in God. Life, if I can have the worship team. Life is full of never-before moments. Actually, that to me is probably my personal definition of life. Constantly, I've never been here before moments. And so you have a decision to make in every one of these moments. To, to go forward or to retreat. Conversations, moments at work, moments in marriage, moments in life. I find myself constantly, and I've never been here before a moment. And when you don't know what to do, it's not fun. It's not exciting. You don't always feel energetic and the presence of God in this moment. 
But you find yourself constantly in these moments. And I just want to say that there's literally only two things to do. And that is to step out into faith, into the unknown, or retreat. And to retreat is to repeat. Because you just came from that. So to retreat is to repeat the past. So what do we do? Why are we repeating so many things and seasons and behaviors? Why are we not changing or becoming what we want? Because we are constantly retreating and repeating what we already know and where we've already been. And so the past keeps popping up in our life. When we're called to have faith. But when I find myself in a conversation with my wife or best friends or team, I find myself in a place I've never been here before. So I find myself in a conversation that maybe doesn't make sense. It hurts. I I don't feel understood. I don't feel listened to. I don't feel loved. And, And all of a sudden, faith is required to step out. And when your faith is in the grace, you know that you will step out in faith and not fail. But that's what it feels like. I'm going to say sorry right now. I'm going to say sorry and then fall flat on my face and look like an idiot and get walked all over in life. That's what's going to happen. Step out in faith in my finances. I'm going to step out in faith and probably fall flat and nothing's going to happen. Make that phone call. Send that text. Try to repair that. You know what? What's going to happen? is I'm going to step out in faith and I'm going to get re-abused, re-attacked, and I'm going to look like an idiot. So at that moment of decision, I've never been here before. Ah, Maybe tomorrow. I'm cool. And you retreat and repeat the past in your own strength, in your own ability, trying to change something. But Jeff, that must have had this faith these guys must have had this faith when they had nothing to say. The grace of God will always meet me. I'm going to step out in faith in this relationship. I don't understand everything. Everything's a little chaotic and crazy. But I'm going to say, I'm sorry. I'm going, to, I'm, going to, I'm going to start to go down this path of humility and forgiveness and grace and mercy. I'm going to somehow find the character of God. I'm going to step out in faith. You know what happens? Grace meets you right there. My faith is in the grace of God and that the grace of God meets me where my faith steps out in. And so you have throughout the New Testament, my faith is not in my prayer life. My faith is not in anything I can do. My faith is in the grace and the power and the mercy of Almighty God to meet me at the point of need. So what happens? You start bringing faith into your marriage. You start bringing faith and you start going somewhere and not repeating and retreating. Yeah, but we always fight about that. Oh, don't bring up that. We just fight about that all the time. Yeah, you're repeating the same bad behavior, idiot. Talking to the men. Talking to the men. Not the ladies. The sweet creatures of beauty and perfection. I'm talking about men. Well, you know. Yeah, I do know. Yeah, I know. Thank you for educating me on all things that I already know about the flesh and about humanity and about my own sinful nature. I'm talking about faith. The ability to go and do and be that you've never done in your life. Never been in your life. Yeah, but you know if I just humbled myself, you know if I just, have you, have you, have you? Well, yeah, I think I, I was close one time and 
faith and grace. You go down a path of standing on the promises of God, on the nature of God, the God that you know that has revealed himself to you, and you start to pick up on the nature of God, the nature of his love, the nature of his grace. You start to step out in faith on that. Even with invitations, man, if I invite this person to church, they're just going to look at me and laugh. I'm stepping out of faith, though. It's like, bam, grace. That person goes, you know what? I've been thinking about going to church. And you're like, what? No way. Faith in the grace, the unmerited favor and sovereignty of God, that he wants that person to come to church more than you, that God wants your marriage to be healthy more than you, that God wants to help you raise your kids more than you, that God wants to prosper and bless your business more than you. Faith, Jephthah and David, these men must have in these years of being alone in these pastures discovered that God wasn't trying to kill them. He was trying to show them who he was. And by revealing his nature, they discovered who God was. And they knew that in faith, grace would always be there. And all of a sudden you start to discover, yeah, my faith, my faith is in grace. Oh, so you're a grace person. Yeah. What else is there? What's your faith in? Your own ability to serve God? Well, yeah, prayer life and discipleship. And discipleship will fail you. Church will fail you. Forgive me, I love church. I love people. But your faith can't be in the church. It'll let you down. And that's why a lot of people are let down. Well, my, you know, I, I just need worship. And, you know, I just need, I need an accountability group. And I need, I need some more friends. And I need a better job. And all of a sudden, when those things have your faith, you're constantly be repeating because those aren't stable and those aren't the promises of God but when your faith is in the grace you might be saying you know what though I, I have a lot of evidence on my side <laughs> preacher I, I have stepped out in faith and it has failed me I have a lot of evidence in my own relationships I have a lot of evidence in my own sin I got a lot of evidence a lot. You don't, I don't want to talk about some things. Isn't it cool that the writer of Hebrews says that faith is the substance of things hoped for and the evidence, the evidence of things not seen. You have a higher evidence now. Yeah, I did that, but I got some faith now. I have some evidence. I have some faith in the grace My faith is no longer in my ability to serve God. My faith is not in my ability to be holy. My faith is not in my own prayer life. My faith is not in my ability to somehow get it all right and get perfect before God. My faith is not in my evidence that I have produced. My faith is in the grace that is sufficient. Where sin abounds, grace abounds. My faith is in the grace that covers it. You know, I'm not lovable, but his love is unconditional love. My faith is in that. My faith is in a God who came after me, left heaven and came to earth and died on a cross for me to let me know emphatically that he loves me and his love is not going anywhere and in fact he doesn't do love he is love and he cannot not be himself my faith is in the grace and you know what grace is too good it's too much it's too awesome my faith is in the grace my faith is in the grace it says in Hebrews eleven fifteen. We'll close with this. Hebrews eleven fifteen says, and truly, if they had called to mind talking about the people of faith, 
And remember, the writer of Hebrews includes us in that. Run that race. I love that run analogy because it's like steps of faith. Just keep going. Don't give up on the promises of God. Don't don't, don't think that they're not going to fail you. God can do in one day in your life what it's taking you an entire lifetime. I don't promote Samson because I think he fell short of the glory of God. But in one day, he saw more come to Christ and more justice executed in his nation than his entire lifetime. Have faith in what God's going to do in your life. It says in verse 15, And truly, if they had called to mind that country which they had come out of, they would have opportunity to return. Follow with me. And truly, if they had called to mind, if they had thought about where they come from, which they had come out of, they would have opportunity to return. Quit thinking about and dwelling on the past and where you've come from and all the evidence that says nothing's going to change. Nothing's going to change. Get your mind and heart off of that. Put it on to God, the author and the finisher of your faith. And say, I'm stepping out of faith. And where faith ends, grace begins. Where I'm stepping out in faith, grace will be there in my relationships. Grace will be with me at my job. Grace will be with me with my family. Grace will be with me in my kids' life. Grace is chasing after me. Grace is pursuing me. Grace came through the personhood of Jesus Christ. It says that Jesus longs and seeks for hearts that he can can, can give to and, and bless. He so loved me that he gave. And so as I step out in faith, grace will be there. Grace has covered my life. The unmerited power and love of God covers me. And I know that I know, I believe that these men of God, not because of their own strength, but because they started to figure out something about life, that grace will always be there, man. I don't know. God is, he's there at these moments of life. And their faith was in the grace. And Jephthah's daughter must have looked at his dad and just said, man, your faith. What a man of faith. What a man who has put everything in God. There's nothing more attractive or incredible than someone who has faith, genuine faith in God. Let's stand this morning. I just want to believe and pray as we sing this song and close this morning. That my faith is in the grace of God. Grace, grace will come all over you right now. Step out in faith. Maybe you don't open your mouth. Maybe you don't raise your hands. Maybe you don't do something in worship. It's not about doing something. It's about your heart. I just like to move. But your heart, maybe it's right now. Some faith needs to be in his grace. That like David, when you seek him with your whole heart, you will find him. Maybe this morning, as you step out in faith, his grace will meet you. In this point, in this moment of worship, Whatever you need him at, whatever you need him at in life, get some faith. And when you step out today, this week, grace will be there to meet you. Come on, let's sing this song this morning. Jesus.